What are some of men's fears today, and why do they exist? Um, Hillary Clinton. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, what, but why does she exist? Yes, and I don't evil. Know. Yes, and I don't know. <laughs> uh, I will tell you what I think my greatest fear is, and I bet lots of people share it. I dread the day that I am in my 80s or 90s at longer if I'm lucky and I'm lying in the bed where I'm likely to die and that invites me to think back on the last 80 or 90 years and if I am there with this collective fear that I haven't done everything I wanted to do I haven't lived the way I wanted to live and haven't finished the things I wanted to finish without calling it and checking out. That scares me. And frankly, I wish it scared me more because sort of get into autopilot mode and and it feels like that's even worse when every day is kind of feeling like the last day. So what that has led me to try to do is be more intentional with plans that I make with people that I know, family members I don't see very often. You know, not just like, I'll go see my aunts next summer. It'll be more like, okay, well, the logistics on the ground. When we're going, where are we going to go? Should, should I be calling people more often to talk with them, let them know that I'm thinking about them? It, it scares me that I reach the point in life where I'm near the end and haven't, haven't lived to the mm-hmm. fullest that I wanted to live. And then there it goes, my one shot's over. And I feel like that probably resonates more and incentivizes people more when they are uh, when they meet death earlier in their life because I never really have I haven't you haven't met death early in your life I lost my grandmother's when I was uh, I met yours oh mine no, 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 <laughs> I, thought, yeah. I thought that's what you were talking no, about no yeah, not just having a near death experience that I mean for goodness sake ought to be the, the thing that totally is the impetus for taking the greater advantage of every moment you got but but if you've seen it and experienced it with someone else my grandmothers both died very old and very, they um, didn't have like some major health complication sure. that took them too young. And so it felt more natural, you know, than losing, you know, a parent when you're younger, you know. So, you know, it's harder, I think, and not that I'm wanting that to happen, but I'm fearful that, you know, it will. And that's going to sort of be the thing that makes me take stock. And so anyway, I try to do the best I can with it now. And I bet a lot of other men do of just fearing that I'm not living. I'm not doing the things that I set out to do. It could be something as in I didn't put up the extra shelving in the garage or I didn't something greater. You know, we had the chance to do something really fun. Do you find yourself assessing relationships? I forget. Are you 40? Am I 40? I forget how old you are. Is that 30? how old I look? No. I, I, but I forget. Like I'm, I'm, I'm 34. 34. Yeah, so you're 34. Too. So you're just kind of entering that, that yeah. stage of your yeah. life where you start to reflect a little bit. Like, yeah. Is it relationships that you're reflecting on the most? It, it's that. And in those, specifically in those relationships, one instance is with the relationship with your spouse. You want to be more engaged in the process of setting priorities and setting goals. And then other relationships... With my kids. See, you know, my kids are young. They're five and they're three. And so I have, for the last two years, when the pandemic began, 
they were in daycare at the time. It shut down, which then led us to make other arrangements for their care. <clears throat> My sister-in-law, who um, has older kids, they're all teenagers, she started watching them during the day, but would be done in the early afternoon. And so my wife and I, she works too, we have made plans alternating the afternoon care to the extent that we can. I mean, it really, really chews at me that I feel like I can't give it my all with my work sometimes. Some days it's just outright debilitating where I'm like, I'm, I can't do this. Because I am the world's worst multitasker. I suck. <laughs> I can't. And people get so mad at me, and I guess I kind of deserve it. But if I am, here's an example. It happened a few days ago. If I'm on the phone with somebody, I get, I get a call from my wife. I take it. In case it's something real serious, and I, I say, can I hold, can I, can you hold on for just a second? I'll switch over. She can always tell, 100% of the time, if I've got somebody on hold. Because I'm just distracted, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't even, she can tell within about 15 seconds. And so, uh, yeah, where, where I'm essentially going with that is the fact that I can't multitask, the fact that I can't do even two simple things. Oh, um, yes, I've seen same. you do a ton of things. No, you're. Oh, whatever. Well, whatever. I can do, no, I can do lots of things. I, I can move pretty quickly from doing one thing to doing another thing, but the, for like the first few seconds that those things overlap, I'm useless. I'm, I'm a piece of celery. Okay. Nothing. So <laughs> anyway, having to do that with kids working, very difficult multitasking process. So what I force myself to do is if I'm home and I don't have kids that are asleep or something, I'll, I'll be working. But the moment that one of them needs my attention... I'm not working anymore. I physically can't do it. Mentally can't do it. So that has the greatest byproduct of that is I've been able for a lot more of the time been able to watch my kids grow in a mm. qualitative sense. You know, we my oldest used to do ice skating, drive her up to Nashville once a week. And sometimes it'd be me, sometimes it'd be my wife. And it's like three or four in the afternoon, you know, and you're getting to experience real little things like taking my little one, press the buttons on the snack machine. And, you know, the great overwhelming joy that a child experiences when a snack falls, especially the first time, it was just the greatest gift to her and then to me getting to watch it. So anyway, we're all that to say, putting in way more flesh on the bones than ever should be needed to answer this question. But we were living more, you know, in the moment because of it. And Mm -hmm. that that has sort of been some reassurance that whenever we come out of this, whenever if we ever will. Well, we will when our kids are older because everyone kind of sits there and just sits in the middle of some regret of, oh, I don't, uh, I hate the fact that uh, we've, our kids have grown. We're never going to get that time back. So I want to do more of that, you know, before it's all gone. And um, so enjoying relationships with people, setting priorities with people that you can. I don't know that we'll ever get to the very end and say, okay, I've done everything. I've, I've done every, I've accomplished every important undertaking in my life. We can minimize it the best we can. And so we all should have at least some abiding fear that we haven't fulfilled. From that, we should do more of the fulfilling with every every second that we got. So that's what I would say. We're going to move to Maxwell here. As an outside observer, I'll just tell you this. I'm just Because I've watched you work. Like I also know that your line of work and your personality. So you live in the heart of the dysfunction and the brokenness of our culture. 
and you live where the gloves are off, you live and breathe in that world. It's not altogether different than being a cop. And and oh, it's yeah. and it's that place where you've gotten used to the frog in the pot. You don't realize just how angry, how negative the world you live in and move in every day. And I know that your personality is that you are accurately presenting something, factually presenting something that does require focus so that you can put your name on it and say, I am to the best of my ability. This impacts some, this impacts a whole family's future. And I am getting this as right as I could possibly get it. So I see that as a strength. You see it as an inability to multitask, but you put most men in your spot and to do a quality job because you know it doesn't just impact. It's mm. not just a matter of I put the wrong spark plugs in the car. This ripple, no, what I, you do does ripple for decades and generationally out. Right. So you take that serious. And I would say, if anything, I would find that as a strength for you because you're one of the few of your kind that does weigh the impact of how I do this ha- can have, I am impacting many lives right here. And what kind of ripple do I want to send out in that yeah, wake? Yeah. And so you see it as a weakness. I see it as a strength. Until the water is too hot and my skin starts to boil because I'm the frog in there. But you've already discussed that and possibly wanting them to teaching. I say I think somewhere in the background of your head, you see the toxicity of the environment you live in. And you know that it's not sustainable for a whole long time. So anyway, that's that. But I need to roll to Maxwell real quick. What are some of men's fears? And, and Yeah, I, I mean, I think, um, I think the reason, and, and I would jump right on with what Gus was saying. It, you know, it's about that sense of contribution, you know, with this gift I have of life, did I participate and contribute my piece of the pie? You know, did I put in what is my opportunity to put in? And I, I do think that that's something that is part of, as men, it's part of our wiring. You know, we want to lead, make an impact, contribute, participate, and, and accomplish. That's just the way we're wired. I think when we're healthy, I think when we're healthy, that's the way we're wired. We want to and so I think the fear is that that gets undermined by our own vices, by our own impatience or our choices. So I, I think that's that's what kind of motivates me is, you know, always the tension of wanting to make a contribution and knowing that I need to kind of fight off some of my own bad habits in order to do that and to do that well. Yeah, I would I would tag on with I think we, we lack the discipline sometimes to do the right thing to dig in. And I think, uh, you know, our biggest, you know, my biggest fear is to look like a failure, to fail. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to fail, I hate to do that. I am coming to terms with it because I realize I'm not the almighty. But the problem is, is failure. I'm, I'm in an appliance repair business where failure is not a good deal. People call you to unfail things. Mm-hmm. And when you can't unfail them, you're a failure. The first few years of my business were horrible for me because I banked who I was mm. on the repairs. And there are just some machines that are beyond. There are just some wisdoms I didn't have at that time. And so it ruined me and my perspective of me, which trickled down into my family because I was having a difficult time accepting failure. Once I can come to the understanding that failure is inevitable, it is a process of success. There are X amount of failures in every success. And when I learn to get above that and realize to either say I'm sorry or I messed up 
or here we go. My dad put it into perspective when I started the business. He said, this isn't, these appliances aren't an iron lung. They're not an artificial heart. They're not keeping somebody alive. Do not wrap yourself up so much in this that it ruins you. Remember, you can always give them their money back and go away. And that, although I've only used it maybe two or three times in the eight or nine Mm -hmm. years I've been doing it, Mm -hmm. knowing I had that in my back pocket to say, Mr. Smith, I can't help you. Here's your $85 back. Have a wonderful day. And then that's when it stops. I no longer think about Mr. Smith. But up until those four days before, he was living rent-free in my head, causing me consternation, causing consternation within my household. And what I had to learn to do was face it. I'm going to have to leave here in a couple of minutes because I had a dishwasher install Thursday that the lady's not happy with the, the lining. Now, I don't want to go on a Saturday morning, and I love hanging with you guys. But I know that the right thing is to admit that, okay, I didn't do it to her specifications. She's paid me X amount of dollars. Now, I'm going to go suck it up of my own free time, and I'm going to go spend whatever, 15 minutes to straighten it just so, so that I can get on with my life and not have her think Mm -hmm. about it. But she texted me this on Friday morning or Thursday night at 10. It's been living rent-free until oh, I texted yeah. her this morning and just said, I've got to get this off my plate. Mm-hmm. And so that is a course study in what I think that men need to follow. When we do fail, we have to approach it and say, I failed. This is a part of success. How can I, how can I do better? But you have to be in an environment where people are conducive to accepting that from you. If this customer was hot and angry and whatnot, then it would be a conduciveness for me to give her check back and just say, sorry. And so if we can do that, if I can do that with my job, then I can do that with my wife. I can do that with my daughters. I can do that with the guys that come to my Bible study Hmm. and just say, look, I failed you all. I did this wrong. But if you're willing to stick with me on this, then I will make it right by you. And I think that that's a weakness that men don't have right now. And, and honestly, the fruit of that is even a greater respect. That's correct. It's like, okay, mm. we know that we're not going to go down because this guy's too prideful to say, look, I totally whacked this. It's already in motion to get it set straight. Like that is what builds confidence. And it does, I mean, you look at anybody in the military, that is what it, it's not. This guy's crazy and too prideful and he's going to lead us to certain death. It's no, this guy knows like when he steps into that, Wrong thing. Crap, everybody back up. I, I made the wrong call. Let's ba- let's back up, regroup, and then we're going to go again. And if I'm wrong again, we're going to back back up. And this is not a suicide. My mom put it into perspective and said, uh, there's a Bible verse that basically says, it's very difficult for folks to be angry with you when you're doing all you can to help them. And I, I have to find the verse, but... but I've always held on to that. You're really working to benefit somebody and it's not working out, it's still very difficult for them to be angry with you if you if they know you are genuinely trying and working for the best of them. And that's what I think men need to do is genuinely work for the best of other people because that's where I think we will shine. Tony Evans has an entire kingdom man ministry about how men have fallen down in society and need to be revitalized and brought back up, retrained, loved, encouraged, 
And so we don't have that right now. How far away is your appliance repair? About 10 minutes. All right, we can make one more question. It sucks because the last two are the ones I really want your input on. Um, and let me add this real quick because you guys mentioned something about assertive, men not being assertive. So in my position, if I'm not assertive, the whole ship falls apart. Like I have, the buck has to stop with me. But with that comes, that's fine. I make the call. You don't make the call. This ain't a Facebook group. This is not a, a group chat here. Like this is, my name's on the line. Nobody mm-hmm. else is going under the mm-hmm. bus. Nobody else is going to get fired. It's me. So it's my call. But I have noticed in younger men, especially, like, I mean, I don't know, I build maybe a hundred houses a year, something like that. I love like the 65, 70 plus community. If I can build houses, I want to build them for people 70 and north <laughs> because their life has rocked their world enough that they're like, they just roll with it. Like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. why would I be worried about that? Right. Like I lost, I lost two of my children to cancer. Right. Like why would this be significant to me? Right. Uh, but as I moved back, like I noticed in the 20s, especially 20s and early, like to mid 30s right now, they think that this is a community uh, effort, like where every decision that has to be made, they blow up. Same with you. Like my my number circulates and they just start texting me at one in the morning, 11 at night, Sunday morning while I'm at church, nonstop. Hey, we need to get together and have a meeting about this. <laughs> and I'm like... I'm like, and I say this, I'm like, no, this is not a community build. No, this is, I'm sorry. You're 22. You've never built a house. This is the way it's going to go. And that's it. Like there's no discussion involved with it. And it's weird, but I've watched the younger men respond to that. And I'm like, look, I'm not trying to be a prick. Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you, Mm -hmm. like, this is where an older man steps in and says, look, I know that you have the best of intentions, but this is, we're not getting eight people together. If I did this, I would never build a single house. Like, you don't understand, like, every call on this house is mine. It's not yours. It's not right. you and eight of your family members to come chew up two hours of my day so we can discuss something that was already spelled out in black and white at the beginning. There's not, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I watched the young men respond to that because we don't have, either their fathers didn't instill this in them or whatever, but I look at how young men respond and they know I'm like, I don't have any ill will toward you. I'm not being a jerk. Look, you don't know what's best for you right here. I'm telling you, this is what's best for you. Like I, with experience, this is where you're getting the best I can deliver. And what you want is not the best that you're going to get. So I'm overriding you. And I just want you to, and th- what's weird is eventually like they'll come back to me and say, thank you. Right. Like you were right. Right. Like, and so it, it, but I'm amazed at how many fathers are not instilling this into, well, either they don't have a father because the husband's been run off or has run off. And a mother can't seem to really instill that into a boy. Another man can do it in a passing blow. Right. You know, so anyway, let's do, I'm going to start with you, Dash, on this last question. It's 1140. Okay. So we'll start, we'll go the other way. Uh, what do you think are some of men's responsibilities in today's culture? And not that that's necessarily changed, but I I, I believe that we've we've hit all around this. I mean, if this was if this was a bombing run, consider you know Berlin bombed because we've talked a lot about what the responsibilities, what the issues are for men. What are their greatest responsibilities? You know, from from my opinion, is they need to step up and not fear what society folks 
are saying or what they're implying. I think that we are listening to too many outside sources and we're not focused on, again, just speaking for me, I get my directions from the Bible, from the Lord. And so I have I have a framework every every day of how I'm supposed to carry myself. And then I, I live to that. You know, we, we've all known these old military dudes that have spent all of their life in the military. And what do they do? They still get up at freaking 4.30 in the morning. They get on all their clothes. They get their coffee. They sit out. And by 6 in the morning, they're ready to go storm the beaches, although they don't have any beaches left to storm. But that discipline stays with you. And if we as men could get and derive that discipline to, one, take care of ourselves, and I think that that's a big drawback. One of our biggest responsibilities is to take care of ourselves and not get wrapped up into pornography, not get wrapped up into too much drinking, not get wrapped up into chasing skirts, not get wrapped up into unplugging from my wife and kids because they're annoying the crap out of me. If, that, if, if we learned to stay plugged in, even when it's uncomfortable, that sometimes, as you alluded to, is what younger folks need to see is that they can't piss you off enough to drive you away. And I'll be honest with you, most older men, when they get to my age at 50, I don't put up, Papa don't take no mess. I am here to tell you, I don't take mess from a kid in a store that's not mine. Well, kid, go get to your mom. I don't want to see you. You know, I've done that. I had one little kid when my daughter was young. My daughter was eight. This little seven-year-old boy came up in the middle of the Kroger, stood right in front of her and looked her up and down. Oh, no. And I looked at that kid and I said, kid, get the hell out of here. Oh, and he ran off. And then his mom came walking down the aisle. And I said, listen, before you say anything, put your kid on a leash, keep him close to you. There's children snatchers everywhere. And then we just walked off because I wasn't going to explain myself about how I was looking at my daughter. But I am an oddball. And it sounds like everybody at this table is an oddball. They'll be willing to speak up. They're willing to say that's an injustice. I'm calling you regardless of whether it merits them or demerits them. I don't think that we're willing to do that. There's only just a handful of people. It's like, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but when you put me in a room full of morons, I look like Einstein. And, and I think that that's unfortunately, we are in a world full of morons. And, and there's only a few people out there that are exhibiting their love for their family, for their wives, and they're like candles in dark places. And it, and it, and it maybe it used to be so much more illuminated, and now it's just little, and only God can really change that. But men's hearts have to be swayed first. Maxwell, do you need to roll? Yeah, I probably should if it's a good It's 11.45. Yeah, I probably ought to. All right, we are back. Uh, I had to kill the mic for a little bit. Uh, Dash had to go keep an appointment. We are back, and we've just got Gus and Maxwell now. So back to the question of men's responsibilities in today's culture. Maxwell. I will give you a quick uh, twofold answer. I think I think the one that I would say, we, we've touched on both these, but the one I would say I just keep coming back to is that role of, all right, let me elaborate just a little bit on it. One of my favorite concepts is is the the hero's story you know it, it's it's popular uh way of framing a lot of different things but it's the idea that you the the hero goes out into the unknown comes back with knowledge maturity whatever i i think the man's job is to be willing to step into the unknown and that's what that leadership that's how it framed that idea of the, the leader in the household it's not that they know 
what's going to come. And that's how they make the decision. And this is why going back to talking about, is it the intelligent person that should be in charge? The intelligent person only wants to move forward when they know. The whole point is you don't know. It's the unknown. It's the abyss. It's the darkness. It's the who knows what's coming. And that's what the future always is. So the, the man's role as a leader is to say, I don't know, but I'm willing to step forward and go and lead and step into the darkness, the abyss, the unknown. That's, that's the role of men. And, and so, so, you know, if I was, you know, talking to a group of men, I would say your contribution as a man in terms of leadership is to be willing to go into the darkness, the unknown and, and without necessarily having all of the answers. The second piece of that, I think, is, is that mentorship that we talked about. Young men don't know how to do that unless someone else shows them. If you looked at, like, you know, ancient cultures, um, there would always be this mentorship thing going on where the men would teach them, hey, we're going hunting today. We're going out. You're coming with me. You're going to be walking beside me. I'm going to show you how we do this leadership thing, this man thing, this uh, the masculinity piece, and how to make it not toxic, how to make it when it's at its best. Which, again, I think is that clarity and choice to step into the unknown. We have to teach that to the next generation as well. If we don't do that well, how will they know? And so I think we have this twofold thing where we have to sharpen that skill set of the willingness to step into the unknown, to lead and, and move forward, and then also to bring other people up, lift them up, bring them alongside, and, and kind of show them the way. That would be my answers. Awesome. I think what is sort of a companion to what you said is that one one thing I think is a great responsibility that if you are a man and you enter society, you come with a um, automatic sort of preconception that people have of you that you can fix it. Every single, like from the most basic level to the most profound you have to be able to fix it. I can't remember the comedian's name. I think it was Brian Regan, maybe. He had this, one of his uh, bits was uh, that he's the guy, actually there's two, the same kind of idea though, that if he's driving with his wife or his family and the car breaks down, he gets out, he picks up the hood, and, just, and the first thing he thinks is, Man, there's a lot of stuff under here. <laughs> or he, he uh, yeah, he, he takes it to the mechanic and he said, I'm the guy who has to emulate the sound it's making <laughs> to explain what's wrong. And they all know it. So they're like, you know, hey, Ramon, come on over here. So what you got? What's wrong with your car? Why don't you tell us? And he goes, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it makes the sound. Yeah. Anyway, it, you got to be able to fix it. You know, whatever, whether it's the car or whether it's. The problem that you had with the um, the guy that you hired to mm. you know replace your countertops, what a difficult conversation to say, hey, you messed this up, or this other thing yeah. that you did messed this other thing up that you know can you please make it right? Having to face those kinds of confrontations, no one wants to do it, but the responsibility of it will have to fall on somebody. Oftentimes, falls on men. So. Sometimes it's an easy thing to fix if it's a thing that we're familiar with, but sometimes you got to go, as Maxwell says, into darkness to get it. That that can be a challenge. You know, this is actually 
appropriate. We've been we've been working and restoring an old Jeep Wrangler. Old as in really it, uh, 2003. Yeah, it's awesome. We, <laughs> it's my wife's in high school. She kept it. We'd always talked about fixing it up. Wait, is yeah. this a Jeep you've had for a long time? You yeah, I used I've to drive in your Jeep. Yeah, you have yeah. Uh-huh. So that was it, when my car broke down when I was uh, how old? I don't even remember how old I was. I was uh, I'd only been in law practice for about a eight months or so. It was the same car I drove when I was in high school. I just drove it to freaking death. It died. I drove the Jeep. And that was my daily driver for the next three years because it was, oh, wait, no, we can't get a new one because mm-hmm. I'm saving for an engagement ring. Now yeah. we're saving for a wedding. Yeah. Now we're about yeah. to have a kid. Now we're about to buy a house. <laughs> so finally, we came around to I got something new, which is what I drive now. I'm going to drive it until its wheels fall off. That's just the way I get the way I've always done it. So we've been fixing it up. And... We were going to get rid of it. We thought about it. And then we drove one day less on the top down. We fell in love right over. We can't get rid of it now. So things have been some of the things that I know I can't fix myself. I get, I got a buddy to come help me. We put new suspension, motor mounts and other things. And here I am just like poor pitiful me looking at this guy when I'm thinking things are going wrong. And he's got it. I mean, he's just, he's a good friend of mine. And then there's other little things that we're replacing just hardware and external yeah. accessories. Like the door handles was one. Like the, just the outside yeah. door handles. Yeah. I had never done it before. I, <clears throat> I got some insight from uh, the, that same friend about what, like, is there any kind of special tools on lead or what are the pitfalls? Mm-hmm. And I uh, said, no, not really. Just, just change it. Get in there and do it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. You know, it's the easy thing. So I broke it down, took everything apart. You know, I had to look up some some instruction videos from like people who sell them. Yeah. Like, right. So I went in and, uh, not that this is the greatest accomplishment ever, but it, the way that they're built, you basically have to take everything apart to replace the one thing. And then you yeah, have to yeah, back on yeah. um, anyway, I, um, I f- fixed it. You know, it was either going to be that, or I rely on somebody else to mm-hmm. fix it. Someone else, probably some other man who bears that same level of responsibility to be the fixer. And it's, Incumbent upon us to undertake the thing, the talk to the person or face the necessary confrontation to then be on the other side of it and say, okay, it's done. Where's the next thing I got to fix? So that is a, that's a responsibility maybe to some degree. Every person, man, woman, child will, will have that. But when we are looked at as sort of the leaders of the household, or of the whatever it is, some operation. We are the ones who people will look to when something goes wrong and must be fixed. So to some degree or another, we will all face the situation of being scared of what's under the hood and having to take it one small measured step at a time until it's fixed. Either that or that we have to admit that we were wrong and made mistakes to where we couldn't fix it. So kind of goes flying in tandem with obstacles we have to overcome. So I, I love the way you highlighted. So there's like when we talk about being the leader in the home, right? And and we leadership is always it's got a little shine to it. It's like, oh, are you a leader? Oh, you know, it's like this thing, it's kind of prestigious, you know, and so and I but I think there's something about leadership in the home that has a little bit of a different tone to it. You know, it's that thing where, yeah, you're taking the first step and you're, you're also though, you're the shield. You're also the first line of defense. It's not all good, right? Like there's a role there that's important. So I love that you're highlighting, like you're the guy that has to call the 
the guy that did the work and didn't yeah. do it well. And you have to step into the abyss of, I got to con- have a con- confrontational conversation. Hey, we paid you X dollars. We didn't get, somebody's got to do that. Yeah. And nobody wants to do it. Right. But I think that's the thing about this, this leadership thing in the home. Like, again, it's so easy to think like, oh, leadership, it's got this shine to it. I don't think a lot of women want to do that stuff. And again, I don't think the men want to do it either. But like, as men, when we step up and say, I accept the role of the leader of the household, you know, you get the, uh, I, I guess we could call it the benefit of being able to make certain decisions and chart a course and say, this is where we're going. But there's also the responsibilities of that, which is you're the first line of defense when stuff goes sideways. You've got to figure out how to fix it. And sometimes fixing it is, you know, more complicated than a car. Sometimes it's family dynamics. Sometimes it's uh, social emotional stuff, right? And so you still got to be leading the charge of how we're going to get this straightened out. And it's a big responsibility. That's where it looks like we're heading with the next question. Too. And, well, and I wonder if I wonder if part of this is is not so much that women have been like demanding put me in charge as much as we're abdicating that because it's hard. Yeah. I'm just asking a question. You know, I wonder. I, I think it's easy to point a finger and say nobody will let men lead anymore. Yeah. Well, I do. There's, think there's good tension yeah. there. I think we've we've left some things on the table and said, oh, I'll let somebody else take charge. Yeah, and I think I mean my own personal <laughs> opinion based on again my nerdy research because that's what I do in my free time. But I think that I, I see it as intentional. Like yeah. people that don't have the best. I, I mean, I just believe because I, I mean, I've traveled all over mm. this country back and forth many, many times. And I would say without fail, as I've traveled, it didn't matter where I went. I mean, from L.A. to Boston to yeah. Maine to Florida, Alaska is the one place left on my list. But I've been everywhere else multiple times. Yeah. And I find people to be agreeable. Mm. In the most part, I mean, in general, yeah. like I find Americans to be generally agreeable people who will help me if I need help, would accept my help if I offer my help. And so I look at the tensions in the culture. I don't see them necessarily manifesting from within. Mm. I see I see intention from without to oh, say the, the last thing we want is the culture to become situationally aware and say, you know what? We are in charge of how we relate to each other. We are in charge of how we run our families. We are in charge of our own futures. We are a sovereign person created in the image of God that is capable of critical thinking, decision making. But that's Mm. a threat to people that see us as resources to be mined. Mm. And so if you, Mm. I mean, if you look at the toss back and forth of culture, the tension, there's always tension and fear. And that is the greatest way to detach somebody from, um, I'm trying to dovetail this with what you're talking about is I don't see this as happenstance. I do see outside pressure where women have been convinced that masculinity is toxic. And and now I hear women repeatedly saying, where have all the good men gone? Well, the good men left (laughs) because the problem is what you define as a good man is an assertive man who can make good decisions, has good judgment has solid footing underneath him. He's, he knows where he is spiritually. He knows who he is as a man. But those things are toxic. I, so I, they're backing away. And I, But <clears throat> outside forces, and even if you want to just, you don't even have to put a human face on it. I just think it really comes down to evil and good. I, I love this conversation. There, I, I just uh, last week was having a conversation with uh, a friend, a uh, previous coworker at a, at a past job. And, we were, and she's single. She's in her 30s and awesome, awesome person. Uh, awesome professional, you know, really grounded person. And we were just having a conversation. She was talking about, she's been trying to date and she's like, I can't 
meet any decent guys now that I'm in my 30s because they're all and I, I mean to your point I'm, I'm hearing we're hearing the same thing from women that are looking for healthy relationships they're like I can't find a decent guy it's like well yeah like you say they're out they're, they, they, they don't want to be a part of these systems they don't want to participate if they're not married and they're single or they're divorced they're not interested in re-engaging in these kind of relationships that don't feel like they have a lot to offer them fascinating yeah yeah, yeah and it's a it's a the last thing that you want the American people to realize is that we can change it. Mm. We don't need somebody to change it for us. Mm. Just like Gus and Maxwell, I mean, or Dash, you each have taken your own, I don't, maybe I don't want to say destiny, that sounds too broad, but you have taken ownership and control of your own lives. You didn't wait for somebody to tell you, right. you know, oh, culture saying this, you guys aren't driven by the culture. Right. None of you sitting here. In fact, I can say one thing is true of every man who sat at this table. He is not driven. He doesn't, he is going his way and it mm. doesn't matter how the culture buffets him. And that's why all those men that have sat at this table are at this table Yeah, right. is because I hadn't thought about it, but you are, it doesn't matter if culture is blowing wind this way, you adjust the sail and go right into it. It doesn't matter because you know this is the course you need to go. And it, that is consistent with every man that is set at this table. Mm. And I'm, this is episode 70. Oh, wow. You know, and there's been a lot of, or 68 and 70. I think that's how it's going to play out. Who knows? I lose track of them. But that is one thing that every man who's come to this table has the ability to pass this on. And you do by living it. But to make it more intentional that young men right. see this because... Outside forces convince women that what they need, I don't know if you've ever heard this, the three sixes, which is a bad number, but but they want a man who's six foot tall, makes north of six figures, is large. <laughs> so the funny thing is, like statistically, I can't remember the exact figure. I want to say it's less than 4% of the male population in the United States would qualify for that. And so now what it's done is, is the pendulum swung, in my opinion has swung where it's against men. Oh, yeah. And so now there will be, I'm watching, like, awareness of, hey, look, maybe we need to stop demonizing talks, you know, masculinity. Now, see, I'm saying toxic men. Yeah, I'm right, like, we don't, right, right. Like, women are starting to say that. They're starting to trumpet this. Like, sure. we want masculine men back. We want, we like alpha males. Like, we want them back. Like, we're tired of taking all the bullets. We're tired of making all these decisions. Like, what's wrong with us being at home and raising a child? Right. Like, like you hear women say this all the time. Why right. am I in a career? I'm in my 50s now. I have no children. Right. I have no marriage. This was a terrible, terrible decision. One of, one of the interesting narratives that kind of has come up, I think it was just the last two, three years, was in the Scandinavian <laughs> countries, which are some of the most forward-thinking countries, most progressive they created the highest levels of quality between men and women in the world. What they found is that the rate of women leaving the marketplace and wanting to raise a family was much higher than it is in other industrialized countries. And they couldn't figure it out. Yeah, they were like, yeah. this doesn't make sense. Same, yeah. This isn't the data we expected to find because what we thought is that if we give equal opportunity... Then you know it'll be equal outcome. Sure, in there'll terms be just of, as many engineers that are female as there are. And, and this is not at all a pitch for like women get back. Like if you're the kind of woman who loves to be in the marketplace and is driven and curious about industry, go for it, right? But 
if you're someone that wants to raise a family, like, why did we demonize that? It doesn't make any sense. Like, at some yeah. point, why did we attack that? And it's authority we give to other people so outside in our culture. And then we surrender that authority in our own families. Right. And, and then we stand back and we don't realize that this is, it's made, like, the very fabric of not just our country, but cultures across the world, it's fracturing them. And it's a so, bizarre thing. It's a, it's a really, and, and I, I, I think your point is really interesting that it's an external pressure aimed at manipulating kind of the way we think about life and ourselves. It's probably because if we get double incomes, then there's more money to spend, which drives the economy. So I, I always think in America, everything's money driven. Uh, so I, <laughs> that's the way I'm wired. So. And I think that's a lot. I mean, uh, we do but, weigh it in, in, in income, but now I like, I'm really got my guard cause I'm not anti-women. Mm, not at mm, all. Mm hmm. I'm just like for me, well, sure. like I won't be sure. remarried. I have no, I haven't dated in almost well nine years now, right. almost ten years. I've been like I have no interest in. It. It's not because I don't like women. I sure. just I like my ability to start impacting the culture around me. I see where the culture is going. Yeah. I don't want to sit on the sideline and yeah, say yeah, I didn't yeah, do yeah. anything. To, I wasn't screaming. I like I'm willing to go into the unknown and right. burn for it. Like right. it's fine. But now what I'm afraid of is women start trumpeting that. Look, let's stop badgering the crap out of men and making them into something, making them into women who we find unattractive. Mm. And then women say, we're all the good men. Well, we're they're too men. busy trying to be like women. Yeah. You know, I mean, because that's what they've been berated about. And what I'm afraid of is now those external forces, yeah. they, they, they won't let the pendulum go back to the center. They're right. gonna, they, they, right. they right. want it right. just right. as it was the other way. Their, their goal is to knock it from one side to the other you deal with it as an attorney, and it wouldn't surprise me if you stayed in that and didn't go teach, and then another 10 years, it will be polar opposite. And overcorrect. And that's, yeah. just and as that's just as fracturing because what happens if you stabilize a people, and we know who we are and what we're capable of, out of that will rise things like statesmen that right. will say, I'm willing to go into the unknown. Right. Like, I right. want to be a political right. leader right. because... I want to march into the unknown, and I have all of these people's best interests at heart, and I've lived that out. Right, right. That's right, the most right, dangerous right, right. thing to trying to control a population. So you have to keep them constantly dealing with turmoil uh, so that they're right. exhausted and they don't step forward, which you see in a lot of men saying, hmm. I'm just exhausted. With like, what? With a bunch of stuff. A sense of lostness. Yeah, there's a sense of lostness there. Like, where do I, how do I find my footing? How do I find my value? You're right. Yeah. But if he's got a stable home, he and his wife together, he's raising his kids well, and he's working together with his wife. They've, they've figured out, how do we budget stuff? We're, we're managing our own lives. Now, I have a higher calling yes. that maybe it's only for four years, but I want to lead in my community. Right. I have the energy to right. do it. I want to lead in my nation. I want to... I don't want to make this my career, but I want to make a positive impact in my culture. And right now, all you get, you don't have, those guys are, they're so busy trying to minimize that damage inside their own families or their own right, lives. Right, right. There's no contribution then that can be focused externally. Correct. So yeah. the external forces can keep mm. knocking the pendulum back and forth. Anyway, Gus, I've just hogged the microphone for a long time. No, that's okay. I know that I have much more to add to this particular question, okay. except to say that no matter where the pendulum swings to, there will always be, I don't want to say a, a, a greater responsibility that falls on men <clears throat> than women, but the 
dynamic of what responsibilities will fall to what the man or the woman mm-hmm. will always be such that it's like a revolving sphere of expectation that the responsibilities yeah. are not mine as husband or yours as wife or is not mine as woman but are yours as man and that will I wouldn't be surprised if we do a total overcorrection part of that frankly scares me a little bit that it's uh that it changes so dramatically from where we've been it will always be important that men sort of acknowledge and embrace their responsibilities whether they like them now or they liked them better 40 years ago. You know, because that shapes character. Responsibilities that we're showing we are taking on, those, you know, will sort of cross-pollinate the younger generations. And we are creating the image for that. So, yeah, I think uh, I think it does good, you know, to sit down and start talking about what responsibilities men have or should have and why they're important. You know, hopefully men listening to this will start thinking on that too. Because we probably don't do a whole lot, as much as thinking on what our responsibilities are um, as characters or as companions, then maybe we should. And so, Well said. 